0: Hello. Good morning, everybody. There we go. All right. It's good to be with you. Um, thank you for the introduction. I just want to correct this morning in front of everyone that uh, I didn't desert everyone. I didn't leave. I was I, there was a coup and I was fired. Let's just go on the record for that. <laughs> See, Matt. Matt confirmed it. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now. Uh, that's actually not true at all, not true at all. You know, the, the challenging thing, so I know a lot of you, and uh, I also creep on uh, services and the Facebook page all the time, so it's interesting. Some of you have no idea who I am, uh, but I see your comments and those sorts of things, so I have a little bit of an idea of who some of, some of you are as well, but uh, it's really good to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, it's like a good nervousness. I, I enjoy that. Um, you know, I was trying to get a feel for, uh, you know, what the church is like these days. And it's, a, it's interesting to think about how it's evolved over the last 10 years or so. And uh, Aurelia and I were just like talking about experiences and people and, you know, funny things and serious things. And uh, we were talking about that last night. And one of the things we brought up was the time I uh, accidentally said the F word in a sermon. So... Is this a cool place if uh, if I if I go for it? All right. How many should I draw? No. Uh, you never know. It was it was actually an accident, but uh, it was fitting nonetheless. So um, I hope we have a safe place this morning. If any of you want to give an amen, or you know what, let out your own curse word this morning. <laughs> go for it. I got the. I'm wearing a stool that you gave me in stole a stool. I'm wearing stool. Yeah. See, it's already started. You never know. There's another word for stool out there that I guess I could have used, but yeah, it's great to preach when you don't have to worry about getting fired, you know? I guess you could cut the mic off or the the live stream, but anyway. All right, let's jump into this. Okay, so I I saw this graphic on Facebook not too long ago and I saved it to my phone because I I thought it I enjoyed it from my my position. And uh, one of my more left leaning ministerial friends posted this. It was uh, it was a meme, just like a text meme. It said, Jesus, foreign parents, brown skin, anti-war socialist gave away free health care. And I was like, yeah, I clapped for it. Uh, Not too long after that, I I continue to scroll and uh, my aunt put this on Facebook. Oh, God. She's not one of my left leaning ministerial friends. This was the little text meme she had. Jesus didn't eat with sinners because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed life, to die to self and live for him. His call is to transformation, not affirmation of identity. And I was like, "What? How do you get that?" You know. Um, it's interesting, though, that like multiple people can claim Jesus, but they interpret and see Jesus like in really, really different ways. So, how do we get to such different places uh, philosophically, politically, religiously? Um, I mean, my HOA can't even decide what color we're allowed to like paint our shutters, right? People just can't agree on things. Um, But people are often wired differently. Uh, We have different experiences. We have different values. Communities of faith also have very different experiences and often think differently. This church I'm sure you know by now, is a little bit different. It's a a unicorn in the best kind of way. Um, But there's a lot of different churches out there, right? I mean, uh, so there's this derpy joke that goes like this. I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He said, I said, well, there's so much to live for. He said, like what? I said, well, uh, are you religious or atheist? And he said, religious. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, Christian. I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. He said, are you Methodist or Baptist? He said, Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? He said Baptist Church of God. I said me too. And now are you original Baptist Church of God or reformed Baptist Church of God? He said reformed Baptist Church of God and I said me too. Are you reformed Baptist Church of God reformation of 1879 or reformed Baptist Church of God reformation of 1915? And he said reformed Baptist Church of God reformation 1915 and I said, "Oh, die heretic scum" and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Why is there an impulse to push people off bridges? Now, I can't even say, why do other people want to do that? I want to push people off bridges sometimes. We can hear the same stories. We can read from the same book. We even claim the same Jesus, but we end up in wildly different places across the socio-religious political spectrums. Just think about the Lectio that was read earlier today. You heard the psalm. But you know, if we open it up to everyone in the room and talked about how it made you feel or what you focused on, more than likely no two people would say the exact same thing. So for a second, I'll say from a a positive perspective, I think scripture has this beautiful way of shining differently on each one of us. Sort of a metaphor to use is thinking about holding up a diamond. If you were to hold up a diamond to the light up there, or maybe to the light shining down, depending on... How you turned the the diamond, the light, would refract in different ways. And depending on where you stood, you would see it differently than other people. Our life experiences, our biases, our wants, desires, needs, they all play a factor in how we really interpret or see anything. But people don't always hold up Scripture like this beautiful diamond. Some hold up Scripture as a weapon to oppress, to injure to control there's volumes of systematic theologies that are put together and they're contrary contrary to how others interpret scripture (laughs) i another tweet that uh went around maybe two weeks ago that i i picked up it said this it said i don't know who needs to hear this but you have to stop trying so hard to sit at the table that jesus would flip over It was funny because this tweet was shared by like both my like really liberal and really conservative friends But they really don't agree on what kind of table Jesus would flip over Since leaving the church uh, about four years ago I've had the pleasure of being in churches uh, in quite a different uh, number of states And I've, I've learned this This is probably not shocking to anyone here People are different But I've also learned, and this probably isn't shocking either, that people can be the same. And here's what I mean. People often think differently. They feel differently. Their gut reactions are different. Their values are are just widely different. When they say God or Jesus or the scriptures or any of the churchy things that we say too, they might mean something different. People are just different. And I often get confused how people can claim the same Jesus that I do, but they just see him so differently. You know, when they look at my faith, they probably say the same thing. (laughs) There's people from the fundamentalist church of my youth who will say things to me sometimes on Facebook, like, What happened to you? Or they'll send me a, a message and they just can't figure it out. They don't understand my faith evolution. And as easy as it would be for me to dismiss those who are different from me, I haven't figured out exactly what to do about it. What do you do when people are being genuine, but they're operating from a, a place of sincere faith, but just so radically different than my own? Like, what do we do if we like really disagree about things that are important? Now I want to say a word about people being similar as well. I mean, in, in my travels, I've noticed a lot of similarities. I, I've had these moments where I've noticed common humanity despite our differences. People have needs like food and water and shelter and health care and security. People crave friendship and intimacy and love and belonging. People want respect and freedom and strength. And people need space to be supported, to become who God has created them to be. Religiously, people ask very similar questions, even if the answers are different. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's the purpose? How am I to live? People like to celebrate. People like sacred space. People like being with other people. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with um, something called spiral dynamics. Uh, I was actually going to like really go into spiral dynamics a whole lot in this sermon. And then I uh, it would have been way too long of a sermon and it would put like half of you to sleep. So uh, I saw you saying, yes, yeah, so maybe you can you pick this up later on. Um, <laughs> feel free to Google spiral dynamics a little bit. Um, Later on, I mean, there's probably like a Wikipedia page or something you can read in five minutes. But um, uh, spiral dynamics is this really interesting theory. Okay? It addresses why and how both individuals and groups are different. Basically, spiral dynamics uh, describes um, individual experiences, groups, organizations, and even you can apply it to churches, have different values and have different consciousness and focus on different things. And it usually depends on life conditions. I mean, it's a little obvious, but environment shapes structures in societies. So let's think about churches here for a second. Churches have life cycles and experiences that are made up of certain types of people who then influence culture, values, and even the structure of a church. So I can leave for four years and come back and some things can be same and then some things can be totally different. Another related theory that, again, Google, spend five minutes on later, is James Fowler's stages of faith. Basically, his idea is that children start with an intuitive faith. They think in images and stories. They have really concrete thinking. But then as people start to grow in their faith, they reach a point of crisis where the faith just isn't the same as it was when they were children. They have more questions. They have doubts. Literal things don't start, don't really make the same sense anymore. And what happens often is two paths are made. Some people lean into the path of mystery, of contradictions, become more open-minded, and others revert back and just really dig into the literalness. One path offers transformation and growth and allows evolution, and the other path offers fundamentalism. So now we get to the point in the sermon where I ask, so what? What difference does it make other than naming the, the fact that people are different and people are similar? And you probably knew that before you entered into the room. Well, first I want to share a very practical tool for you. Uh when your literal or metaphorical neighbors drive you bonkers. It's called Imagining Their Prequel. Now uh many of you have probably seen prequels before. You know, they give you the backstory of characters, you understand character development, things that happen to them. Um you know, there's lots of shows that are coming out now that are, are prequels as well. But when somebody, you just you can't stand, you don't understand, you think, why would they say this? Why would, why would my aunt put that on Facebook, you know? Just for a second, imagine where they got there. Imagine their life path. Imagine their belief systems or, or imagine them as a child. Imagine them having the same needs and wants and desires as you, but imagine how their path might have differed. Imagining prequels helps us see others as humans in the image of God, and it helps create empathy. When we give space and grace for others, for other people, in turn, we're better able to give space and grace to ourselves. We are then able to grow and progress and evolve. Now, when imagining other people's prequels and giving them space, what I am not saying, what I am not saying is to condone hateful or oppressive theologies. Rather, own your convictions. But you are now free of the unbearable burden of feeling like changing the entire world is on your shoulders. Changing the world starts from changing within you. A really relieving thing someone told me a number of years ago was that controlling how other people think or feel is impossible, and it isn't my job to control how they change. Of course, I can invite other people to live in beautiful and loving lives, but I don't have to control the outcome for anybody else. Now, those of you who know me, and I even said in the sermon, I come from a fundamentalist background, As a child. And in fundamentalism, there's this urge to control anyone and everyone and everything. And letting that urge go has been one of the biggest gifts of breaking free of fundamentalism. But the temptation still creeps in every now and then. Accepting people for who they are, giving them space, and seeing our common humanity as being created in the image of God is incredibly freeing. Again, Have convictions, live with purpose, lean into justice. But you don't have to control anyone. And you can really just let go of that compulsion to judge. So give yourself permission to enjoy life, to laugh, to breathe, to spend time with loved ones. You don't have to get sucked into the social networking algorithms that feed off of your rage. It's okay to smile. There's this saying from the Talmud, a man will have to give account on the judgment day of every good thing which they might have enjoyed and did not. Elizabeth Gilbert, Gilbert says she smiles, imagining God looking over your life at the end of time and saying, seriously, I gave you the gift of body and spirit and you could have enjoyed this beautiful world and you didn't? Because what? What? because you're too busy, because you're too afraid, because you spend all your time judging. I thought I wanted you to, uh, you thought you, I wanted you to deny yourself and everything good, everything good that I created myself for you. No, no, no. Enjoy it. Love it. Enjoy life. This morning, I hope that you will give yourself freedom to evolve. You have freedom to grow. You're not bound by the person you used to be. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago when we started this thing together. And this church isn't the same as it was either. I think that's a good thing. Aurelia and I, again, we were talking last night about uh, the church's evolution. And I cringe sometimes when I go back and think of some of those first sermons and the things they used to say and maybe the things they used to believe and things they used to preach. And maybe 10 years from now, I'll... Listen to this and cringe at myself, hopefully, because I continue to grow. (laughs) And I'm every bit as progressive and forward-thinking and open-minded as ever, but I really don't want to spend my mental, physical, and emotional and spiritual health trying to force other people to be like me. I want to spend more time listening, spend more time understanding, spend more time imagining prequels, more time learning because I'm not evolved I'm evolving and I'm leaning into the cosmic trust that love will win in the end despite I don't know recent Supreme Court decisions and other things that have disturbed me but I just got to believe that love wins in the end the arc of existence is still bent towards hope and goodness and faith and love but I don't have to be on this journey alone I can listen and understand from other image bearers of the divine, people like you. Now, early in our church history, I want to close with this. Matthew stood in this pulpit and he shared a roomy poem with the church. And I still think it holds up very well all these years later. The poem is this. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Amen.